Welcome to Herp Talk Radio. I'm your host, Matthew, and my co-host is Peggy Detmer. Coming to you live from the Black Hills. It's Herp Talk Radio. Awesome. So usually this begins with, uh, so Peggy, how are the turtles doing this week? But Peggy's not here, so uh, instead we'll uh, we'll just make it uh, Snakes and Substances Part 3, the third rendition of this week on Herp Talk Radio. With Eric Burke and Justin Smith, Eric Burke of uh, Morelia Python Radio and uh, EB Morelia, Justin Smith, Palmetto Coast Exotics, and um, the Herpeticulture Network, the Herpeticulture Podcast, the magazine. You know, you got a lot of stuff. Yeah, too much. <laughs> not as much as I had, so it's not as it's not as brutal as it used to be. So how's everybody doing tonight? Good. Yeah. Good. good. I'm doing good. Back in the rhythm, doing putting out right. podcasts and stuff. Just like yeah, you got you. like two or three of them out today. I think I listened yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hit the ground running. Heck so yeah. Do it. Well, uh, Eric, will you tell us a little bit about you? I know I did a little bit of an introduction but maybe a little something for people who don't know you. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I, I, I've never answered the how I got into reptiles and this whole thing. Oh, <laughs> man, really, take uh... your time, then. You deserve it. You deserve um, it. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess I've, I've always been into snakes ever since I was a kid. Um, you know, uh, going and catching snakes with my dad out in the woods type of deal. Um and then uh, I saw, I think I, I had a, a green anole, and then I saw a Burmese python hatching out of an egg, and that was kind of it for me with pythons. And it's, I mean, I think I was eight years old, and I had a Burmese python. It's probably not the, uh, <laughs> 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 probably not the most responsible thing, but you know, that was the '80s, so it's a different time. Um, it was a lawless wasteland. <laughs> yeah and uh yeah uh I, I was into it uh probably up until i was 15 and then i kind of got out of it until about i got back in in like 1998 i think it was somewhere in that range and the reptile world had completely changed um when i was first into it it was more about like just keeping a species not really any talking about breeding or, or anything like that it was more about keeping and um <clears throat> you know just trying to get more and more uh i guess exotic or more difficult species to uh to keep in captivity um and then uh i sort of got into the whole breeding side of things um got back into pythons somehow that led me to carpet pythons and uh, I don't know what it is about that group of snakes, but um, it's just just my favorite. Uh, I, I can never see myself without a carpet python. I've been through, gosh, I've worked with 37 different species of pythons, and they, they're the only ones that have stayed through all of those ins and outs of different species. Most of them usually end up at Owen's house when I find out that uh, <laughs> they're not for me. <laughs> Um, I thought I wanted to do the whole breeding thing for a long time. Um, when I was getting back into it, it was kind of like the way, 
way of the world, you know, everybody was breeding and to be anybody, you had to be a breeder and you had to breed these rare stuff. And it seems like the reptile world has kind of changed and, um, I've kind of changed. I don't, I've done a lot more field herping. I've been to Australia three times, uh, all over out in the West, which is totally different than what I'm used to on the East coast. Um, and it just changed my whole perspective of keeping and trying to figure out these animals that we keep. And um, so I, I recently <clears throat> went from like 400 snakes down to like 100 snakes. Um, if Ooh, that is that how many you were at before you downsized? Yeah. Yeah, I, I had no idea. I had no I idea either, and I, I listen regularly. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't really talk about my stuff all too much, but um, yeah, I, I just, I, you know, it, it just got overwhelming. It kind of took the fun out of it. I, sh- you know, I, Rob Stone's a good friend of mine. If you listen to the show, you know him. He's, um, he was telling me years before. He's like, dude, this isn't what, this isn't you. This isn't what it's about. But uh, I just felt like I had to sort of do that in order to be legitimate i guess you know um <clears throat> in that same time i was doing the podcast we started in 2011 and uh here we are 2023 still going strong people told me that you couldn't do a carpet python podcast i disagree <laughs> um and uh for like 12 years now so. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean we talk on other stuff too pythons and different stuff like that but um we don't really focus too much on like the, the mainstream uh world of pythons i guess if you will like we don't really talk about ball pythons not because i don't like them just because there's a lot of podcasts out there that kind of do it and they're going to do it much better than i can do it um so yeah that's and, and i've come full circle back around again to where i'm just into I'm like really into the behavior of snakes and watching the behavior um, and like really trying to uh, figure them out. And that's where I'm at now. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what it, my, my whole gig. <laughs> so awesome. Well, Justin. So I got my first corn snake last week. I've read some books um, <laughs> watched some YouTube videos and I mean, if there's anything you want to know about corn snakes, I'm I'm the guy now. <laughs> you know, um, no, kind of like Eric. I mean, I so I was a military kid, uh, so we moved around a lot, and I think as a result, it sort of makes you much more sort of self-sufficient, independent. Um, and so when we moved, like herps was always kind of the thing I could take with me in a sense. Um, really liked dinosaurs as a kid, and then realized that my chances of finding those were slim. <clears throat> so I kind of found the next best thing, which was reptiles. And I think my first snakes were, my first snake was a, I think a red bellied steraria that I, I don't know where I found it. Or I think my, my dad used to hunt really regularly. And so he'd bring home stuff every now and then. And I think there was this little steraria and I ended up cooking it because I left it on, uh, like a table or desk or something in my room in the sunlight. And it was just extra crispy when I came home one day. Then I had some rough green snakes, which really, I think really amped up sort of my, my interest and in stuff and things. Cause those were just a blast to have, you know, I'd go in the backyard. We had this like sort of field in the backyard at the time. I'd go and catch grasshoppers and throw them in there and watch them, you know, hunt them down. And, um, and it just, it was always, 
around. It was always something I, I had. Uh, pretty much ever since then, I've I've all, always had something um, in terms of like what I was keeping. Even when we lived in Hawaii, you know, you can't have snakes there, but you know, there was Jackson's chameleons that people would sell. And, and so we ended up somehow with a pair of those. So I had those for a bit. Um, once we were back sort of continental us, um, started breeding corns with my dad and, uh, just still always had sort of stuff to some degree. Um, kind of took a break for about a year or so circa 24. 13 or 14 <clears throat> took like a year off and just had some, some tarantulas and some other stuff and then got back into it. And, and in 2016 started Palmetto coast exotics. Um, mostly because I was, I, you know, at that point it was like, I'm an adult. I can do whatever I want now. Like I'm not limited. I have a job. I have disp- disposable income <clears throat> and started breeding Cresteds. Uh, just decided like I wanted to, like I'd always been keeping stuff. I had bred some stuff with my dad when I was a kid here and there, but nothing on like a serious level. That was pretty much me enjoying it and him doing all the work. Um, and I just, it was come 2016. I was like, I want to, you know, I want to make it a, a business of sorts or a side gig kind of thing and take that sort of next step and did Crested's for a few years and then decided that I wanted to go back to, to snakes. Cause that was always sort of the, the main love of, for her prize. And, um, it's been uh, a slippery slope ever since. So, <laughs> just got all kinds of stuff. But carpets have also been a big part of my, you know, my thing, or at least they were uh, sort of earlier on. Um, I think I got into those before I even had a, a ball python, and so that always sort of I think that's what sort of diverted me from from the ball python thing is like having carpets and then having a ball. It was kind of like. The carpets are just more more enjoyable to me. I just enjoyed them more, and so that segued into you know chondros and and some other stuff. So I don't have any carpets currently, but I do have chondros still. And now I've just like everyone else, I've just gone full force into colubrids and sold sold my soul to the uh, the colubrid side of things. Yeah, I think I'm getting there too. Um, I haven't actually owned any Morelia. Um, and my daughter's name is Morelia. So, really, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love the snakes. I've listened to your your show, Eric, since 2013, 2014. I don't oh, know. Wow. I called okay. you way back in the early days. Like, okay, you were still on Blog Talk Radio. You know, jeez. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember calling into the phone number. To yeah. So, <laughs> oh wow. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then I I fell out. I had Womas. I had a few Australian things, and then I, I fell out. I got married, divorced, that sort of thing, and uh, was out for four or five years. And now I'm now I'm coming back. So nice. got a couple of ball pythons because I want to breed them. I want to check nice. those off of my list. Yeah, uh, some picture of his, uh locality to here anyway. Pits, nice, which is pretty cool. And then I just picked up a corn snake from Twyla, who nice. I had on our show. Yeah. So I actually, uh, I, I, me and Chris were supposed to do a Corn Stars episode this week, and the two people we had kind of, you know, first through third string that we were like on our okay, if they can't do it, we're gonna hit up them and then them and to the first two sort of fell out, and so after listening to that episode with her, I, I hit her up and see if 
get her on at some point because she's got some really nice stuff. Yeah, she does. And I, I, I warned her because <laughs> because this show was actually planned at the same time as that show was. Mm-hmm. So so I warned her. I was like, I'm having him on. He runs Corn Stars, the podcast. And then she sat found a oh the lady you had on Corn Stars, uh, Sarah. Sarah. And mm-hmm. she she I bought that corn snake, and she's like, Yeah, I need to do some more deep dive on the Sarah stuff. And I'm like, I just listened to that. So yeah, Sarah's awesome. I would have Sarah on every episode if we could. She's just she's. She's fun to talk to. She knows a ton. You know, she just. Yeah, she seems to know her stuff. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, you got rats, Justin. I did just get rats. I'm a, I'm, I'm a rat <laughs> breeder now. I had them for two days. I'm a rat breeder. Um, yeah, so I, I had a local buddy who was, he's, he's Angelo Corsi at Hilton Head Exotics. So he's, he's been doing ball pythons pretty hardcore for a, a many years now. And he's kind of, I think, at a point where he's he's wanting to change it up and, and move on to something else. And he wants to get into chondros. And so he uh, messaged my other buddy locally, who's who just moved down here from Minnesota, Justin Olson. And he's like, hey, man, you know anybody that would want some rats? And Justin, he was like, oh, I, you know, other Justin in Beaufort probably might. And so Angelo messaged me. And I was like, how many are you talking about? And he made it sound like it was like 25 and some racks, you know, no big deal. And uh, it was supposed to be four racks. He had three because he's moving. He moved today, actually, uh, to like the outskirts of town. <clears throat> and um, I, without really seeing the racks and knowing how how big they were, like what I was getting myself into, I was like, "Yeah, I'll take them." And I, you know, I traded in one of my male biox that I deemed sort of non-essential to future projects, and um, got there, and it's like fifty rats, <laughs> and the racks. Uh, were big. And I was like, I can totally fit those in the bed of my dad's truck. And how I made it the 45 minute drive home without losing those things was I was white knuckling it the entire way back. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, everything made it back fine. And I, I'm currently trying to sort of figure out because I've been doing mice for a few years now. So I've got them pretty figured out in terms of like scheduling and when I need to top them off and when they need attention and stuff. And so rats like I'm over there on my way to work. I'm over there on my way home from work, like checking to make sure they're like they got food because they're eating way more than the mice are. I've already figured that out. Like I'm going to be burning through so much more food than I was before because um, it I mean, it also doesn't help that the, the rats that I got are like the size of kittens. Basically, like, <laughs> I forgot how freaking big rats are. Yeah. And so I see these things and I was like, good Lord, like they're they're heavy. Like they if I pick them up by the tail to like move them into a bin and they like grab the edge of another bin, like they actually are kind of hard to like pull off and like move it. I'm not used to it. So it's a big, big change from what I've been used to, but one of the females already dropped a litter. So I was like, okay, you know, I mean, clearly some of them I think were gravid when they, when I got them cause they look pretty, pretty thick. So we're going to see, I'm kind of learning how to change the groups up and time everything right. And, but I'm actually really enjoying them in terms of like the personality of them and kind of the, like interacting with them they're definitely not like mice they're a little more personable and i see more i really more enjoy the rats aware. too they're i can new. tell i'm gonna like them like i'm gonna enjoy them like they're gonna be fun my kids reach in there pull out the pull them out there's mm-hmm. no problems even with the babies like she well, the babies are now grown but mm-hmm. even they yeah 
no problems at all no defensiveness like yeah little five-year-olds can reach their hands in and the nice yeah fine. and the nice thing too is like i guess if you want to consider it nice i don't have anything nearly big enough to eat one of those rats like jake does jake has some carpets and stuff that could probably take them it'd be a huge meal for some of his adults um so i don't you know like when it comes to culling adults on the regular it's going to be nice to not have to do that because a i'd feel bad i don't like killing anything so but uh, you know i euthanize mice humanely and stuff no problem and it's because I've, I've done it so much at this point you know i still it sucks but i want there to be zero suffering no matter what the animal is whether it's food or not it needs the best life possible you know especially if it's going to be a feeder i think you care about your feeders that's the big piece of advice rob stone gave me when i was talking to him about feeders and uh i don't know i get a lot of satisfaction out of out of doing my own feeders and stuff like there's something about it that i just enjoy um knowing what goes into them uh being able to sort of pick and choose what sizes i need when i need them um and just knowing what they're eating and what's going into them and that they were produced by me they weren't you know shipped in from another lab or something as excess like there's just i don't know i i i enjoy it and so i think these rats i'm gonna enjoy them too but i will feel bad when it comes time to to get rid of some of the adults but like i said fortunately i'm not gonna have to do that too often i don't think i'm gonna let them pretty much live out their lives until they're sort of retired and then you know move move them on to greener pastures well i've heard that like with rats you can leave females who aren't producing anymore and with young and they'll still take care and be a good mom so so you could you could let your finished breeders just kind of hang around until they naturally Mm -hmm. go really because i have nothing big enough to eat a a full-grown i'm not gonna have anything big enough to eat a full-grown jumbo rat (laughs) i mean i have my my southern pines or florida pines whatever they're called now uh but those are so far away from even being close to that size to eat that but you know, Jake has some stuff and Jake's helped me out with mice and stuff in the past. You know, we were kind of partnered up on it. And then after a while he was kind of, you know, he was coming out to my house, which is like cross County. So it was like a 30 minute drive for him one way. And he finally was like, I'm just going to let you handle it. So he helped me out enough with stuff to where it's like, Hey, if you need rats and I have these retired breeders, like have at them. Cause I don't have anything that's going to eat them. Um, so it does kind of work out. You know, I, I, I got them mostly for, the younger stuff and the things that are, you know, the same size as like adult mice. Cause that's, that's what I have currently is pretty much, that's what they're going to be eating. So it kind of works out cause I can get smaller stuff more frequently than I can with the mice. Um, the mice for whatever reason lately have been kind of tough. I've been, it's been a pretty, pretty dry period on the, on the pinky front. And I'm hearing that up here too. Like everyone up here is really all there. Yeah. So that, I think it's just the time of year. I wonder if that cold front that came through, mm-hmm. I mean, because it hit here first and then came your guys' way. So, yeah. yeah. I wonder if that had something to do with it. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I know, sort of like middle of winter, middle of summer, that's when production really seems to slow down just because that's when it's super hot and super cold. Um, and so I think it's those sort of in between periods that things really sort of spike and then it goes back into kind of a lull. But I don't know. It's whatever, you know. I'd rather do that than have to buy buy frozen in bulk on the regular basis. That's for sure. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> Jake, Jake tells me all the time. He's like, dude, I just had to spend 400 bucks on, on feeders. And I'm like, how long does that last you? And he's like, oh, like three months. I'm like, hell Holy cow. no. Yeah. 
When I had that huge collection, I was spending, God, maybe close to 800 a month. Oh. Yeah. Yikes. You sell a couple snakes, you go load up your freezer, you know? <laughs> so you're not really in a cycle oh, yeah, of snake money. <laughs> Just dumping it right back out. Yeah. <laughs> That one, that one snake paid for half of the food for the month. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if it's necessarily like producing your own is is necessarily cheaper, uh, especially if you're putting an effort to make sure they're eating good stuff, like you're getting high quality diet and whatnot. And I give mine um, like grasses or haze, and then with the rats and stuff, especially I'm going to start saving, you know, vegetable scraps and whatnot and, and getting those into them and, um, you know, changing it up so that they're not just eating the same thing all the time. They have options and, and things like that. And I think it is maybe a little cheaper long-term than having to buy bulk frozen on a regular basis. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if like on a, on an annual scale, it'd probably be close to the same. It's just, you're not spending all of it in these chunks throughout the year. Instead you're, you know, once a week I'm spending, 20 or 30 dollars on betting or whatever and um it's your and, time you know, too it, right you know yeah but even then like with the with a smaller operation kind of like what i've got um you know i can reasonably clean everything in like under two hours and that's what i usually do on sunday mornings i wake mm -hmm. up early like even if i want to sleep in i couldn't so mm -hmm. when i wake up i just get dressed and go over there and get it knocked out and then just go on with my day so it works out and yeah. I like it. I don't. There's something about it. I just I like. I think the flexibility care of everything and the flexibility of being able to get your own size and stuff. Right? You know, that that's yeah. huge. Yeah. yeah. I I haven't ever bought bulk frozen, so I've always gone like we have a local store here who breeds rodents, so I buy from her frozen. But mm -hmm. I would say I'm probably in about the same cost at this point, and I have just one small colony of rats. Mm -hmm. So I've probably spent more right now, but by the next litter, I'll probably be about even. And her prices mm -hmm. are probably a little bit higher than bulk frozen. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Give or take the shipping. Right. Uh, so I don't think shipping isn't nearly as brutal as it used to be, though. I don't know if Eric would agree with that, but it seems like now a lot of places are doing like $30 flat rate for the most part. Yeah. It's kind of followed with the cold blooded cafe sort of sort of way of doing things. Yeah. You know, I, I had the issue of, I, I talked about on Carpets and Coffee, I think, a couple times, but um, I uh, I got uh, black-haired rodents, mice, and my snakes wouldn't eat it. And uh, I remember y'all talking about yeah, that. Yeah. You know, I talked to Rob about that, and, you know, we sort of discussed it when he sent me that totally jungle female and... Um, he was saying about there's there's a guy that he sells rodents to locally, like I guess his excess and stuff. And um, <clears throat> he was saying about how the the, the snakes became uh, used to those feeders. So when he tried to switch them off to another feeder, it, he he really struggled, right? So um, Rob was saying that usually when rodent breeders are having like different type of rodents than what they would usually send, then that means that they're getting stock from somewhere else right. because they weren't able to fulfill those orders. So, I, you know, I had that problem with the Tully and then I had the problem with a couple other, uh, 
you know, like the Darwins were picky about that. And, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, they were. I've been fortunate. I haven't had that issue with anything, but I also, with my carpets, I, at least what I've had in the past, and I haven't really had anything. I've had like a jungle cross or two, but <clears throat> most stuff I've kept has been poplins, and I've I've never had an issue with that. Thankfully, oh yeah, they no. Care if it was a mouse or rat, they didn't care. They always eat. <laughs> <laughs> they were they will they were equal opportunity when it came to uh, yeah. color and flavor and all I, that stuff. So. I think that's the first time I've had that problem, and God. Man, in years, you know, because the way I would feed, like by the end of the winter time, come springtime, the snakes are ravenous. So, like, if you ever yeah, want to switch, you know what I mean? If you ever want to switch them from a rat to a mouse or whatever, yeah. that's the time to do it because they'll eat whatever you put in front of them, you know. So, and I'm hoping I can get to a point to where I will have extras that I can sell locally and at least recoup some of the, you know, expenses on a weekly or yeah. monthly basis. And, yeah. Um, that was sort of the plan with the mice because I was like, "There's no way I'm gonna I'm gonna use all these mice." And of course, that was before I got, you know, I had Chris Painchap sending me a ton of stuff, and then that changed things drastically when I was like getting corn snakes on the regular from him. So <laughs> it seems like it's a, it seems like it's easy to buy corn snakes, no? Because I don't know, I'm just so used to the Python uh, price tag, you know. So it's like you know. That's thousand dollars plus and a corn the snake. Barrier to, like. The barrier to entry with corns is so much lower than so much other stuff. Like the top end corn snakes. Yeah. The max I've seen, I think, was maybe five hundred dollars. Yeah, man. That's that's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got Chris producing all this extra stuff, and he's like, or well, me and him talked about it. I was like, you know, if you ever have extras, like I've got space, send it to me. And then if it's <clears> something <throat> that I don't hold on to, I'll sell it. We'll split money, whatever. And so that's what we started doing. But the problem is, is he sent me like 20 corns mm. i ended up holding on to like half of them because <laughs> they're really nice and some of them he sent to me to hold on to and so i'm like well crap now i got you know a ton of stuff and then eric westmoreland had those castanias that no one had any interest in on that sat on morph market for like two months and i was like dude i'll send you a pair of bears and he's like done so got like six corns from him over the course of like a week and it it adds up quick it's dangerous corns are dangerous yeah, when you can get one for fifty or seventy-five bucks, mm-hmm. and then then another one for fifty or seventy-five bucks, and you got a pair and and produce really cool stuff, and, with that and too. they're pretty cool looking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah! I, I you sold me on it with corn stars. I I had problems with corn snakes, and uh, I'm I'm happy I got this one, and I got another one lined up for it actually. So. Yeah, I, I because of the whole feeder thing last year where I hatched a bunch of babies and I thought I had planned accordingly in terms of like bulking up on pinkies and loading up the freezer and stuff. Um, I, I hatched out a bunch of stuff and then I was like, oh, I did not plan for this at all. Well, so this year I'm not going to be producing, producing as much stuff. Um, maybe that'll change next year if I can get sort of the rodent thing sort of in full swing and get things on a good sort of cycle but that sucked like you hatched a bunch of stuff and it's like oh i gotta order pinkies now like i wasn't enough and then i kept having to use pinky litters that i was getting to feed what i currently had and so it was just a sort of like treadmilling of feeders and stuff and that's a mistake you you seem to only make because i did it with cresteds too so apparently i have to learn this lesson twice (laughs) repeats as needed um 
you know, overproducing. And I'm sure Eric, you've experienced that at some point too, where you're like, oh, I'll be fine. I'm going to pair like, you know, 10 pairs of Cresteds and get two eggs a month for the next eight months. And then I'm going to breed nine pairs of snakes and it'll be no big deal. Did the math. If all of them hatch, I'll have this many and I can handle that. And then you get them and you're like, wait a second. Yeah. 2018 did that to me. 2018 really? broke me. Yeah. I produced what I think it was like 15 clutches of carpets. And, uh, so what's that? And those are big clutches. Yeah. So you're, I was looking at, I think I had maybe 200 plus babies Holy on top cow. of what I was already taking care of. And a lot of, a lot of the problem with, and what I didn't think about is like the whole idea of like when you're working in the high end snake market, um, it's, it's, it, you, you're not really going to sell it at a show. So I can't really right. go to the show. Um, so it really came down to selling them on the internet. Um, and at that time, you know, morph market isn't what it was now. It was, I mean, it was, it was there, but it wasn't, wasn't the same, <clears throat> but, uh, snake and fauna. Yeah, I, I did a, I actually, I did a lot off my website. I'm sure NPR helped it, you know, but, um, mm -hmm. I, I just, I felt like, I felt like I wasn't giving the, 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 the people that were reaching out to me, um, the time that, that I, that I wanted to, if that makes sense. And then, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. It, it just became, it just became too overwhelming. And I was like, I'll never do that again. And of course I'll say this many times throughout the show, <laughs> Rob tried to warn me about this and, uh, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> heed the advice. And, but I learned that lesson myself. I think Owen's there this year. I think there's a couple of times where he <laughs> yeah. was kind of like at the, at the breaking point, I had to walk him off the ledge, but, um, he's different though. You know, he's doing different stuff because he's doing stuff. He can sell at shows. He's wholesaling a bunch of stuff. He's, mm -hmm. you know, he, he's, he's doing it different than I did. I, I just, I can't do really the show circuit cause they're on the weekend. I work on the weekend. So, right. It just made it difficult. Then at one point, I was just going to wholesale stuff out to Owen. Um, but uh, I don't know. I usually <laughs> I just usually end up giving him stuff, and we don't really exchange money or anything like that. So I'm like, well, this yeah. isn't going to work. So That's yeah. how it's become with me and Jake, too. You know, I got the – Chris sent me a Jani by surprise with a box of corns, and I was like, oh, cool. You know, I'm not a, not a big Pituofus guy. Like, I like them, but I don't want to – keep them nearly as much as jake does and so you know i've got it and i'm like that's space i need and i was like jake you want a jan i was like yeah and then he had corns and he's like hey you want these corns i was like yeah and it's just the back and forth yeah 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 he just he uh i think i just got a male olive python from him but he got he got a lot of my morph breeders like female mm -hmm. adults he got a lot of those and he's you know he's actually produced a lot of them. He, he he's like, uh, I don't know. To me, Owen's always like this guy that's kind of like, he doesn't, I don't think people give him the credit that he deserves when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like he just, he, 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 cause he doesn't, he doesn't overthink it. Like, I think I overthink things, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I want to get in the weeds of the, of the thing. And like, he's just like, bro, oh, what's the problem? Yeah. I just put the snakes together. Just do it. But it just seems to work for him. I don't know. It's like, he has this, uh, way of, uh, I, I think it's like, he just sticks with, with it. You know, he just doesn't let it 
break them. So like the white lips, that would be an example. Yeah. I'm like, screw this shit. This sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you want to make more of these? <laughs> so, yeah, is, but, uh, is the retic that he has your, your retic? No. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've been wondering that for a while because I know you had a female retic and now he's got a female retic and I haven't heard you talk about yours in a long time. So Yeah, no, he had uh I don't I don't even no, he got one from um Matt Minitola. That's that's okay. where his retic thing started and um and then his wife is really kind of fond of it. Owen is not so fond of it because he looks <laughs> at the cage space that it's taken up. So he's kind of stuck with it now. Um, but you know, it's broken out of the cage, I think three times. <laughs> so that's but, a species I've always been, I've, I've, I would love to have because even just a, like a normal wild type retic, man, those things are gorgeous. Uh, Pictures don't do them justice, but even with the super dwarf stuff, it's like, that's still way more than I I want to take on. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a, that's such a back and forth topic, right? You know, like you don't want to be the guy that says that people shouldn't keep those kind of snakes. But at the same time, like, I don't think that people really understand what they entail, especially like Mm -hmm. on mainland, you know? Yeah. Just an amount of food and, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's, it, it, the brutal honesty of it is that, you know, probably a solid 90, 95% of people that have them either don't or won't give them what, yeah. what the recipe calls for. Right. You know? Yeah. It's, it is what it is. I mean, sure. They can do fine and in, in smaller setups and stuff, but it's, it's like when you see a big retic, it's like, that's not something you can just sort of cram into something tiny and be okay. Like it, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I go back and forth on it too, and uh, it'd be cool because they are pretty. They're gorgeous. Dave mm-hmm. Coughlin just released some videos of the, them in the cave, and yeah, yeah, some of the prettiest super, pythons in the world. You know, super Absolutely. pretty, and the patterning is just amazing too. But I don't know. I think when that the Lacey Act thing happened, like ten years ago ish. I think that pushed a whole bunch of people towards it because it was like, oh, no, we're not going to be able to have them. Everybody rush yeah. out and go get them. Yeah. And because yeah. I almost got one then, and I'm glad I didn't because I got out a couple years later. So that would have sucked to have to try to get rid of a 15, 20-foot long snake. Yeah, where, where are you going to take that to? Yeah, <laughs> Reptile Gardens <laughs> isn't going to want it, I promise. I'd be very yeah. curious yeah. to hear how many... Like how many calls do the zoos and stuff get on a regular basis with with people with you know the bigger stuff saying oh, I need to get rid of this you guys want it and then be like no thanks it's like what happens then yeah. I think uh, so well maybe four years ago um, I think I had this realization when I bought a pair of African rock pythons and. I had the same thinking like, okay, well, they're just in deli cups right now. Not like thinking long-term like, oh, shit, <laughs> where am I going to put these, you know? So I ended up actually sending them to Nick Mutton uh, because mm-hmm. he wanted to breed them. But so it worked out. But <clears throat> I don't know. That was that was dumb. I, that was like an impulse dumb 
thing. And I, I think it's that, that I don't know about you guys, but like, it's almost like it's addicting to buy snakes, Absolutely, <laughs> you know? Yeah. A little bit. Oh, yeah. You know, a little bit. Um, I've transferred that into books. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's much cheaper though. No, <laughs> no, but you don't have to take care of them. <laughs> right. That's very true. No, no, no poop to clean up after a book. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish I, uh, I, I've been able to sort of like turn that off lately. Um, and, uh, that was, that's been hard for me for a long time to be able to like, not because I mean, you see so many cool things, you know, you know, this, and there's some podcast talking about some species that you never heard of. And, you know, you get the right guest on there and they're talking about whatever that species is. And it gets you super excited about it. Even just doing the podcast, you know, I mean, you talk yeah. to so many different people and they're, you know, you're like, Oh shit. Oh, that's, that's freaking awesome. You know? And you know, like uh rhino rats are one for me. Right. I mean, I'm hey. sure if I got on the phone right now and called Robin, so I'd send me a rhino rat, there would be a rhino rat in the mail. No problem. Life. You know, but uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to go down that road again. Where I, like one becomes two, two becomes three, three becomes four, four becomes sixteen. There's 16. so much wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I was really kind of. Uh, I went to Owens, and I haven't seen his collection in a long time. But I went to his house, and he has this big, huge cage. When you walk into his living room, it's naturalistic. It's got all this foam background on this. You know, remember those octagon cages that PetSmart would yeah. have? That's what it is, basically. And um, he's got all these branches and trees, and he's got a pair of rhino rats in there. Man, was that cool. I was like, God damn, that is so cool, man. I just was staring at this cage forever, you know. Um, they're out out and about. Yep, all the time. You know, so. They're just, cool. Man, that's a, that's a... I think at this point, I can, with... 100% certainty say that that is the most enjoyable species I've ever kept. It's really, yeah. Like without a doubt. Yeah. Like if someone said, what is the most fun snake that you've, that, that sort of fits all the bills of looks, personality, ease of care, like, you know, they're it. I think the, the next close second would be Brettles. Um, and I love Brettles too. I don't have any anymore, but yeah like those are those that was another species where it was like i freaking love these things like why aren't more people having these you know you talk about sort of beginner snakes and stuff and everyone says you know corns and balls and things like that and i'm like male brettles if you're okay with something getting a little bigger <laughs> yeah male brettles is like the perfect snake like you can't kill them if you do you you set them on fire or <laughs> something cause right they, you made some poor choices yes yeah <laughs> so i haven't finished the book the the carpet python book oh you finished um, it yeah i have not oh have but not. Okay. uh so brettles are the are, are like the second biggest right um yeah i guess did, yeah yeah impercata fall on that line so they're actually sexually dimorphic so females are big uh, probably oh. coastal carpet size. Males are okay. very, very small, like very small. I want to say that they're probably one of the most sexually dimorphic species on the planet. With the size between difference between male and female. More than hognose. One of them. 
Sandboas? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Sandboas too. Yeah. You see a pair of hognose and it just makes me laugh because it's like the male looks like it's still just came out of the egg like last week and then you got a female that's a giant sausage. Yeah. The one Scott Iper had was a female. She was, yeah, I, I she was full grown. She's probably, I don't know, seven foot, eight foot. Maybe. Okay. No, I was just going to say that Brettles females probably what? Maybe nine, ten foot. Males are probably seven. I don't know. My adult male, of course, I'm, I feel like I'm horrible at, at judging sort of size and length and stuff like that. And he seemed, he was probably, I want to say, in like maybe the five or six foot range. And he was a handful of years old. You know, he was fully grown and he wasn't anything unmanageable by any means. Oh, no. Yeah. Plus, they're thinner, you know. I mean, I don't yeah. know. There's something about a thin long snake as opposed to a fat mm-hmm. long snake, you know. But yeah, the more yeah. more active, slender body style. I do want brettles again, you know, when I have more space. That's the reason. So I had uh, a pair. Um, the female went to Bill Bradley, and he uses her for his educational stuff now, which is awesome because he sends me pictures periodically, and she's gotten huge. Um, and then the male, you know, I I didn't really want to get rid of him. He was one that that you know my my daughter and my wife really enjoyed. You know, they liked taking him out and hanging out with him and stuff but the space he was taking up in my room because my room is not very big uh just the cage space and stuff it was just a lot so i kind of made the decision of like it's either hold on to him or and not sort of put more focus into the other things i wanted to sort of focus on um or the opposite you know and i he just ended up going back to my buddy right over the border in georgia who who i got him from um and, you know, like I said, one day I'll get back into him, but just kind of a tough decision. It was actually really sad. Like the day I, I got rid of him, man, it was, it was tough. Cause it was, he was like the family dog for a while. You know, he's, he's a great snake. Yeah, man. They're uh super underrated for sure. I know the two sleepers I say is uh, inlands and diamond pythons. I think a lot of people are afraid of diamond pythons, but I think yeah. for like, at least in the area I'm at, man, they fit in perfect. They're just yeah. they're just like a colubrid, but in python form. <laughs> that's that's my number one pick in that whole entire genus. Diamonds would be yeah, diamonds. Cool. Yeah. Oh my god, they're gorgeous. But like there know, there was like an episode of the Crocodile Hunter where there's this carpet python crawling through the woods, and I re- I remember that as a kid, and ever since then I've wanted a carpet, but I know that that wasn't a diamond. That was a it was like a big coastal coastal yep. yeah. yeah but they're all awesome yeah <laughs> you you won't get me to say any different but <laughs> <laughs> no, you got i may be biased Inlands <laughs> are another one though like if i was when i you know when i do sort of get back into non-chondro morelia like inlands are definitely at the top of the list as well that's just a matter of of availability and and space once again you know there's your room is never going to be as big as the list of things you'd like to get. Yeah. Unfortunately. So got to make tough choices. I think the inlands are a, f- a first pet as far as, um, they're, it's hard to capture what they look like in a, in a photo. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you just kind of have to see them and it's, it goes that way every time. Like everybody says like, ah, yeah, I don't know. They really don't do it for me. And then they see them in person and they're like, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> this is not what I thought. So, it, you know, you have that part of it, but as far as the first snake part of it, they're, they're, they just don't bite. Like, I don't know. I've been bitten by all carpets except that in, I've never been bitten by an inland. I mean, and you know, I only have six of them, but <clears throat> it's, uh, I've heard that from other people that have had them. I don't know why they're more, they're not more popular. I guess it's just avail- availability. I think it's availability. Thing. And I think it's kind of like with the brettles too, you know, they don't come in neon colors. They don't come in bright yellow or anything like that. And so it's kind of yeah. lost on, on some people that just want that. Yeah. That radiation bright. Insane and, color. I, and I kind of think like sweet morphs too. Oh yeah. I kind of think too, like the, do you think like, like the, the breeders don't really share them as much because they're not as flashy. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if you want to, if you want to share something on social media, you kind of have this, you, you want to share the nicest, flashiest snake you have or one you produced or one you're breeding or whatever. Yeah. Um, kind of like, you know, ball Python breeders really don't show their breeders, right? They kind of just show the babies because they sort of lose that as they age. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's some don't, you know, uh, but <clears throat> I don't know. I just think like they're not just promote. I don't know why. There's not a lot of people working with them, I guess. But the same with brettles. I mean, anytime that I've talked to someone who was like, man, I finally got one and it is like everything you told me it would be, you know, it's, they're awesome. They're great. It's like, even though, I mean, they're like, yeah, they don't come in a bunch of crazy colors, but even then, like a nice sort of high contrast brettles with the, I like really high black brettles, like that one Ben frame produced, Oh yeah. yeah, that is like that was the dream when I was heavy into brettles. It was like that's what I wanted was in like, black brettles. Yeah, and even that female I had, you know, she about halfway through she was just dark, you know, that gorgeous brick red into that nice, nice black, super dark chocolate color, and like that yeah. to me was gorgeous. Like that was like they're gorgeous snakes naturally, and I think that to me that's one of the appeals is like you don't need the morphs. Like stonewash are cool, the hypos are nice, but. Like I'll take a nice high high black brettles over just about anything else in that in that I th- realm. I think the thing that fascinates me with with carpets in general is just the variability overall. And I know all snakes have variability, but I I don't see and I have never produced anything, so I don't know firsthand. But I I don't see the variability in ball pythons and a part of me is wondering like if you just took ball pythons and you line line bred them like some couple of people have anyway like if you could get that variability back and start doing that but no one wants to do that with ball pythons yeah why why are you going to try to selectively breed something for years and years when you can just produce something right out of the gate that's gonna you know blow it away but yeah to speak to I carpet you of you can even do that with base morphs and still have like someone oh, said i'm gonna focus 100 i'm sure someone has but, like pastels and, like, <clears throat> hobbies and like really simple stuff like, if you just hammered that and just tried to extrapolate on that that morph that's it's already nice like i said someone i'm sure has already done it because I, I highly doubt there's stuff that hasn't been done in balls already but um, yeah back I, in the day there was this guy his name was i'll be uh 
he bred pastels and um this is reptile radio days and albie two shore reptiles and everybody wanted his pastels because he picked like the absolute best and bred it to the absolute best normal he could find and just knocked it out of the park it's just like just look completely different than what anybody else was doing yeah there's a guy who's doing black pastels too i can't think of his name right now the, right. the same way you can take a black mm -hmm. pastel and his and they look two totally separate animals totally different i think uh i think short tails are highly variable like really really variable when it comes to especially borneos um but i think coastal carpets uh at least from what i, I mean when when we just got back from Australia, man, we we would we were pretty much in the same vicinity, and like they're just completely different looking snakes. Like, mm -hmm. how is this the same thing? And it kind of yeah. made me think of like, like sometimes it made me take a step back, right? And it made me think about all the times that us Americans are arguing with the Australians about what they have in their, you know, what they're seeing every day. So like, we have this idea that a coastal carpet looks like this, a jungle carpet looks like that. And like, we think that everything looks like that, but then you go into the wild and that's not the case at all. Not, it'd not be the like case. them telling us that a certain locale corn snake isn't. Yeah. That. <laughs> yes. hundred <laughs> percent. Like what? And I'm just like, wow. Uh, <laughs> now, now I get what they're saying because they're just so variable. So variable. Yeah. yeah the, the, the picking up a project that's the long-term thing is, is what I'm looking in for too for carpets anyway. That's more of a long-term line bread, 20-year, 10-year project, you know. Yeah. But the beauty of those things is that if you produce a certain look, people are always going to come like nobody else is really going to be able to reproduce that look, you know, unless they have yeah. your stock, you know. Yeah. Like but you can do that with anything, right? Yeah, 100%. Yep. And they started out as, you know, like, wow, it doesn't look as bright yellow. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> no, let's make it white. <laughs> yeah, that's so. crazy. Those long-term projects, though, in, in my opinion, like, those are the ones that are kind of the most fun because it's like, A, you can't rush it. You know, you have to, to stick with it. It requires a, a certain amount of commitment and dedication to see it through you know and i think you get more satisfaction at the end of that or towards the end of that where you're seeing the results that you were hoping you'd get or shooting for in the first place yeah um, than sort of just trying to you know four year in get stuff get out of it um you know i'm doing that with the, the locality corns that i have from my area here like my plan with those is like don't know what's going to happen if I if I sort of line breed these, but we're going to find out. And there's no real sort of agenda there. Just seeing what what crops up along the way. Yeah, you hold back the coolest ones and move from there. You know, <clears throat> that's how I'm approaching the bull snakes that I have. So, mm -hmm. same way. Yeah, and their locality to your area. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. were uh, collected by a rancher probably 40 50 miles away from my house out nice. on the plains i'm nice. in south dakota in the black hills so nice yeah well no wonder you like black? carpets they are from a, a ways away 
right? Oh man, if you're right knew there how by many, Terry. If you knew how many times I'd listened to every episode you recorded with Terry. <laughs> no wonder that oh, show is one of the highly rated shows. Yeah, Terry's an awesome guy, man. Yeah. He's a, he's a tough one to tough one to get on. He won't do it. He he's won't. like the he's like the Barkers. He just won't do it. He just I tried to get uh, him to do a contrast episode, and he's like, he's like, I you know I appreciate it, man. He's like, it's just I like to sort of stay in the back. I'm like, no problem. I understand. <laughs> well, my co-host's husband used to work at Reptile Gardens, so I'm sure that there's a connection there too. And uh, yeah, I'm not even gonna ask because I know I know the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I asked him a couple times to come back, but. You know, he got so I think a lot of it had to do with like when he came on NPR, he talked about how he keeps, you know, and he the 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 no hotspot type of deal and all that. And I think at the time that was like super controversial. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think a lot of people like, he, he, you know, were hitting him up to talk to him about it or like pick his brain. And he, he just didn't want I don't even think it was the static so much as much as like people were just, you know, wanted to. <clears throat> more in depth talk to him about it and um mm-hmm. i just didn't think he wanted to deal with with that you know yeah i mean it is i don't, I don't it's whatever if someone says they're not into it then no big deal it is what it is <laughs> yeah i'm sure you've had that many times i've had i get it like yeah 100 percent. just leave, the, leave that door open and be like whenever you whenever you want to come on like we'll clear the schedule and make it happen you know yeah, I've tried to do that with the Barkers. I've tried to do that with um, who's the other one? Um, he's in Florida. Oh shit, he's a python breeder down there. Keogan, oh. Tom Keogan. Oh yeah. Casey yeah. Lazik, same thing. And I and I haven't in there and still no go. So. <laughs> <laughs> with the, like the with the Barkers in particular, it's interesting because with the amount of stuff they've done sort of in her pediculture as far as like putting out information and books and things like that. You would think that it wouldn't be that way, but I don't know. Yeah. They're already pretty public, publicly known anyway. Well, there's a little more to that story that, uh, that uh, why they, they don't do that. But I mean, the one guy, the one guy that was good friends with me, um, he grew up with her. Like he went to school with her and he couldn't convince her to come on. So I'm like, if wow. you can't get her on that, there's, there's no hope. Yeah. <laughs> <Holy cow. laughs> there's no hope. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's like I said, it's not that big of a deal. It's, it's whatever. It's just, it's unfortunate, but at the same time, you know, I, I can't say that I, I necessarily blame people. It's definitely not everyone's thing. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I think especially the older crowd. Yeah. I think the older crowd is more like, you know, they stand their little sections of what the hell's a webcam and a stream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have that. to use a computer? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> oh. That was the one message Crutchfield sent me, uh, the week before he thought we were recording he's like my wife's not here i don't know how to set the podcast stuff up (laughs) i'm like well tom it's next week so we're good he's like oh no problem 
Yeah, you just had Tom Crutchfield on. That was a good episode, too. I like the history of herpticulture. I like the whole, you know, how it was back then. Did you get that Dragon Traders book? I did, yeah. I've had that for a while, yeah. It's great. That was a great book. Yes. Dragon really, Traders. Really good. Yeah. It's okay. the history of the hobby, basically. Okay. Yeah. I've read... It's really good. Michael Berger. I've read a good chunk of The Stolen World. I still got to get through the more complete Carpet Python. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a daunting task. You get uh, on your scuba gear because scuba gear you're going deep on that one. Yeah, yeah. no. I, I'm, I'm like... I think I'm on the second or third third section. So yeah. I'm gonna read it cover to cover. <laughs> so So we got that we got a copy for the, the upcoming raffle and I I flipped through it very quickly, but I didn't want to like really like open it and read it out of fear of messing one of the pages up or something. Like <laughs> basically like get it, put it on my on my dresser and like leave it there so nothing happens to it. <laughs> Did it open right to a picture of a bird? Because I'm not the only person who experienced that. Owen said he... Yeah, yeah, there's one picture of a bird in there that Julander took. Uh, Had to take the bird picture. picture. So so I, I opened it, and the first thing it opened up to was this picture of the bird. And then I remember Owen talking. I think it was Owen... It was like, yeah, no, I opened up the more complete carpet python, and the first thing I see is a picture of a bird. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Yeah. me too. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if they're just like manufactured to flip open right there or something. There you go. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Maybe it's because it's so thick. God damn, it's a thick book. Oh, yeah, Yeah. it is. I got the package in the mail, and I was like, good Lord. This is like I'm sure the post office sees that and they're like, "You really want like? Is this actually a book? Like, this is supposed to be media mail, but it's like, are you are you sending someone some like pavers in the envelope? Like, what do you? Just imagine carrying like ten or fifteen of those boxes in. God, they probably only fit like ten in a box. Yeah, poor Justin. <laughs> he was talking about that unloading uh, boxes of books. So. Suspension on his cars all jacked up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be from herping. <laughs> <laughs> You've driven with Drew Lander. <laughs> but uh yeah, we just got uh I, I you know, I started uh I just telling Owen we should start giving away books on the on the show, Carpets of Coffee. And um we just got this one. Did you did you guys ever read that one? Hunter in the trees. Yeah, I'm reading that one right now. Oh my god, it's so good. It's so good. It's not like the weird thing is like I got it because uh, I had wanted it forever. It's on my Amazon wish list for years, and I finally got a hold of it. And I was kind of expecting it to be bigger than it was. Mm-hmm. But then I started reading it, and the like the amount of information in that like it's a prime example of like a book doesn't have to be huge to have really, really, really good information in it. Yeah, because that thing had some stuff. You know, it talks about like the the blood pressure systems and differences between arboreal snakes and like terrestrial snakes, and like how arboreal snakes are more suited to to climb, and how their circulatory system is different to handle blood pressure changes, and blood to the brain. It's like just yeah. stuff that you didn't even think about. 
I remember uh, we were in when we were at ICAST, uh, Dr. Harvey Lillywhite, he's the guy that wrote How Snakes Work. Um, mm-hmm. he, did, uh, he did a presentation on that. He did oh, a whole, whole presentation. How Snakes Work, all that. Yeah, that Billy, that, Billy said it was really good. It's the one of, if you're into snakes, you got to have that book, man. That's a must have. Is it, I mean, is it, is it mostly related to like physiology and anatomy and stuff like that? Or is it, it's everything. It's just everything. Like, uh, there's the, you know, there's a chapter on feeding. There's a chapter on, you know, just everything about snakes, everything you, you know, the phylogeny and all that kind of stuff, you know, that I kind of get lost sometimes in that, that taxonomy know, and all that like, stuff. I love phylogenic trees and stuff like that and seeing where things sort of branched off from one another i find fascinating but i do but sometimes it's one of those things where it's not easy reading you know what i mean yeah and it's like the very beginning of the book so i think like a couple times i tried to read that book and had trouble Mm -hmm. like staying with it but once you get past well i mean if you're into that then it's cool i mean i'm into it but it was just it was just hard reading very analytical yeah yeah but once you're past that, it's just, you know, venoms and just everything. You, It's awesome. It's an awesome book. Yeah. That's that's something the last couple of years, I'd say probably the last two years or so that I've I've found myself getting, wanting to learn more about is, is literally like bettering my knowledge in terms of anatomy and literally like how snakes work and things that yeah. I feel like are often overlooked. Um, even sort of the medical side of things. And like I have that... Um, you know, that Mater's vet book, which is worth every friggin' penny. Like I've, I've referenced that book a handful of times. And like, that yeah. was one that if I, if I had the time and ability to read the entire thing, I would, but it's just, there's so much stuff in there. <laughs> all of it, but it's, yeah, no. Oh man, there's just, I don't, <laughs> that, I find that that's like, a... <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like 3000 pages of just, yeah, that... freaking, just, and I'm sure and that's came not in the mail. Like, holy shit. Reading <laughs> it's not. <laughs> no. No. Well, actually, I, I don't know. I really didn't find it to be overly technical or, like, hard to digest. Like, it wasn't really anything that was, like, I don't have the degree to be able to understand what this is saying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but there's stuff like gastroenterology and, like, immune systems and uh, hepatology and stuff like that, like... There's really no other books that sort of cover the technical aspect of like how those things operate and like what needs to happen between lizards and tortoises and snakes and things like that. And right, I, I just I find myself wanting to know more of that. And I think part of that is to not have to rely on a vet so much for for things that are that I could potentially handle myself. Um, you know, and knowing more, like being more clued into what might be happening and sort of what's going on if something's something's off and like i said i've i've gone and, and read through that book a handful of times in terms of uh you know i had that blood red female that was egg bound last year and so i flipped through that chapter and read about what you can do and what happens and i i just i've been really really just hungry for that kind of information in the last couple of years and i don't i don't really know why but i just want to know more in terms of like the things we're keeping on a regular basis and things we're yeah. playing with on a regular basis 100%. I feel like we should have a pretty good grasp of of like what's going on inside of them and anatomy and general physiology and stuff like that. It seems kind of, you know, you're. 
you may not need to know how a car works entirely. You use it every day, but it's probably not a bad thing to have at least a sort of a baseline knowledge of what's what and what it does. I think that's like the progression of herpticulture, right? Well, at least, you know, for me, that's kind of like where I'm at, right? It's like you, you learn, you know what a, a Mojave spinner blast is, right? But then, you know, you, you kind of... out its heart on a chart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, you, I don't know, you know, how, you know how like you go in your snake room, you see a snake, you know something's different about it. Like yeah. trying to, to understand what that is. Like why is it doing what it's doing? And, you know, having a better understanding of behavior and, you know, how to keep them the best that you can, you know, um, all that kind of stuff. Understanding how their body works, everything, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying everyone should know the anatomy no. of a snake and be able to point no. it out or anything. I just think that it's, to me personally, it's one of those things where if you're keeping it, it's probably wise to to be clued in to at least what what might be going on yeah inside of them yeah i i think that uh i think that uh you you're pulling a oh man i lost it jeez um <laughs> uh i think yeah i don't know i had it it'll come back <laughs> it'll come back it's a good thing i spend a lot of time end post <laughs> <laughs> that's where me and bert differ wildly that's yeah i i yeah and that's where me and you are gonna differ too smitty because i i enjoy that i spent i spent six hours on the episode that came out today after we I... recorded it so. Would rather stub my toe on my coffee table on <laughs> and, and, and listen to a three-hour podcast we just did and listen to it all over again. Like I just, I'm maybe I'm I'm just lazy. That's what it is. Like not maybe I just am. I'm lazy. I find that second listen like I I pick up more. And then I'm I'm mm. writing down more questions for the next time I'm going to talk to this person, and I'm I'm picking up because like when I'm talking, I'm not I'm thinking about it, but I'm not actually like mm -hmm. cognitively sitting down and thinking about what's being said. You know, I'm here participating. Yeah. So I like I like being able to re-listen to it. I think I spend a little too much time. I was sick last week, so I there was a ton of coughing that had to get edited out. But oh yeah. I don't know. We've been lucky, man, because I like there have been very few episodes that I had to edit anything out. And if I did, it was usually something like an abnormally long pause because someone had to go stop and do something or um, something stupid was said that didn't need to go out there. But for the most part, if I have like questions to add to something like follow ups, like I keep my little notepad and I'll just jot down a word or two that reminds me of that question and fit it in there somewhere. But. I'm just lazy. Like everything you hear out of everything we we do, it, like that's as it was. Like I don't, all my settings and stuff are, are put on my, my interface and they stay the same. And I throw on the intro, I throw on the outro and it is exported and it is uploaded. Like that is it. Some of them, some of them that I do are like that, you know, <clears throat> like, um, you know, carpets and coffee. I don't do anything that I, I that's a, but that's a live show. So it's kind of like, if we do a live stream of NPR, I don't do that. I just, um, I don't know. 
I, I, I enjoy it. It's kind of like the music part, like being an engineer type of thing yeah. in my brain type of deal. Um, but it seems like a lot of times that, you know, when you're at, it, it, it lets me listen to, um, the, the pot. I mean, <clears throat> we're lucky. We have like some pretty freaking amazing people that are doing podcasts with us. So like, you know, when I was doing that Mandarin rat snake episode and going yeah, through going that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was listening to that this morning. I'm like thinking the entire time, like, man, Eric had to, like, I love Matt and I love Zach. That is one of my all time favorite podcasts. Part yeah. of is Colubrid and Cluroid. Right. I'm like, I can only imagine Eric sitting there having to go back through that <laughs> and the dog. Yeah. yeah, just going this, this morning at work. I'm just, just <laughs> building stuff. Yeah, that was like, kind of yeah. like <clears throat> that was kind of like the Crutchfield thing. Was um, there was no way I could take it out, but like he was in the, you know, I guess his dining room or whatever, and he was on the computer, and his wife or whoever was in the kitchen, and like a couple times she dropped like dishes or pans or something, and I'm just like, how, oh, yeah. how am I gonna get this out of here? Because <laughs> he's talking during it. I'm like, oh well, I guess it is what it is, you know. Yeah. But yeah. Do you think you enjoy that uh the the sound engineering side because of the guitar and all of that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. That's that's where I'm at like, too. I like the creation part of it. Like I like to create, you know. Um whether it's a song or whether it's a you know, a snake or a podcast, you know. I just like that whole idea of creating something from nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. That's so. why I'm a builder. Ah, there you go. <laughs> this is why I do construction. Yeah, I mean, we've, like, Jake and I and Phil, uh, I mean, we've been really lucky. Like, somehow it it has worked the way we've done it to where I, I don't have to edit things. Like, even early on, Jake and I, I feel like we kind of found our, our sort of our rhythm and, and back and forth. And it's just worked that way, you know, like it's completely unspoken. It wasn't every, anything that was ever planned. It's just one of those things where it just kind of worked out to where I didn't have to really take anything out. Um, so I don't, I don't know. It just, it's odd. It's interesting. That we've been lucky. I, think. I can relate to that. Me and Owen, I think of all the podcasts I do, Owen and I, like, I don't know. It's like you spend 12 years with somebody, kind of get to know their you know, he knows my things. I know his things. He knows when I'm going to talk, when he's going to talk. So there's no, there's not like that, you know, that, that rhythm is, 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 yeah. is good, you know? So I, I very rarely have to really edit NPR. I just like to, you know, the, um, I'm trying to get it to where it's more polished, if that makes sense. Like not really take away mm-hmm. from the, the, the interview part of it, not really editing that as far as me and him, but just making it a more polished podcast the more professional yeah. sounding podcast but that's the beauty of the podcast thing man there's so many people do it different styles and that's that's great i love it i noticed your new intros and uh, your new style on this this episode Crutchfield, and yeah. I, I really do i like it i think it's kind of like i listen to podcasts and i always try to put myself when i'm listening to one like, what is it that captures me that wants me to make me listen to this show? You know what I'm saying? Is it is it the title? Like, even just little things like that, like making better yeah. titles and stuff. And and um, 
is it is it the first couple minutes of the show that I've, you know, like I'm thinking that I'm uh, talking to Owen, should we not talk about what's going on with us? I mean, but you know, at the very beginning for the couple minutes, but that's sort of been our thing for since the beginning, you know? So, you know, sometimes we do it like with Tom, we didn't do it because it's like, well, why the hell do people want to hear about, you know, what we got going on? They're, they're tuning in right. to hear Tom, you know? So let's not even do that. <laughs> No. You know, that kind of thing. But. Yeah, I'm, we're, we're, we're still figuring out what we're wanting to do. Like, I kind of want to, I don't want to do, I didn't want to ever just come in and be breeder interviews. And I think there's, I mean, there's enough of that. You, yeah. you guys over at NPR have that locked just fine. So, you know, we're, we're trying I don't know. We Peggy's a con- conservation biologist, so we want to get some like actual conservation people on who are actually doing work in the field. Mm. She'd be really good at, at coming up with more questions for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I, our last two shows now have been more conversational, and the the topics kind of came after we recorded. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know what what it's going to end like but well i think that's that's the sort of the nice thing about sort of the evolution of podcasts is like i started thp as a as a direct result from failing and from the ground up um you know there's people that have that started doing podcasts after we did which has kind of branched off and tried to change things up from sort of what we've been doing and npr and you know so there's like it it helps with the progression of things because it forces people to find, fill the gaps that, that they don't see being filled, you know? So, and I think overall that's, that's a, that's a net positive. Like that's a good thing. Cause then more bases are getting covered. And well, and if know, one, there's... if one person figures out how to fill a gap, then even, even the other person, the other people can all benefit from that as well. Like, if I can find a way to edit edit down twenty minutes of a podcast to where it hits on YouTube pretty well, then like why wouldn't you guys do that? That it'd only benefit you to do something right. somewhat similar anyway. You know. But, yeah, it's it's like you know, to me, my goal was always to educate people about snakes, right? My my thing is always really I mean, yeah, I do dabble in lizards and stuff and I do like them and I like listening about them and all that everything is good. <clears throat> but really my love is snakes, right? So the whole goal of the network was is that like I need people to talk about these like I talk about carpets. So I I need somebody, you know, that that's into colubrids like because I think, you know, Riley and Owen tried it and it, you know, I, again, it's it's just like me talking to Owen about colubrids. Like it's we don't keep the well, he does now, but at the time, you know, you don't. We don't keep. It's just a different experience you're gonna get from listening to somebody that's kept them and saw them in the wild and you know spread them and all these different things. So when I was talking to Zach, his thing was that he wanted to do NPR, but he wanted to do the NPR style, but for colubrids. So he like made me write down exactly what we did. You know, here's the intro. Here's the 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 you know the the beef of the conversation. Here's the outro. He's like, okay, that's what we're gonna do. And he kind of took the ball and ran with it. And it's great because now you're getting not Eric and Owen talk about colubrids that nobody wants to. Li- Maybe Owen talked about colubrids, but 
I, I don't, I don't have the knowledge to be able to do it, but I think that has to be out there. And I couldn't have picked two better people in my opinion to do it. I think they're doing great. Same thing with Boas, you know, shit. Yeah. Warren Booth, Rob Stone, and Keith McPeak talking about boas. Like, come on. You know, the, the episode. I got that, real excited about that Jamaican boa episode. Oh, it's fantastic. Because <laughs> I, I love Jamaican boas. I'm hoping eventually I can I can at least have one. Yeah. Uh, talk to Rob about it previously. But they're just, they're so freaking cool, man. I saw one at the Jacksonville Zoo a couple weeks ago when we were down there. And I was like, damn it. Those things are just, they're so neat. I love him. He his one the one when we were at his place the one he had was just oh my god was just he's got one that is just that unbelievable. One. Yes. I think it's the same one. Yeah, <laughs> that <Yeah>. one. <laughs> just, Holy oh, shit! Ridiculous. Seeing that snake in person, I, had, I was like, what the? F- <laughs> I had shit. no idea that those were as closely related to anacondas as they are. Yeah, Ooh. I didn't know that either. I, See? I had no clue. Right, I need to listen to this episode. Thing. Apparently, so Rob swears like again. See, this is where I don't listen to him, but I think this time I'm going to listen to him. So I was talking about Jamaican bows a while back because they're just gorgeous. And he's like, Eric, you know, you want a Jamaican bow, I'll send you a Jamaican bow. It's not a big deal. But I think you are going to like the Puerto Rican bows better. And I'm like, yeah, but, yeah, I really like the look at He's like, I'm telling you, you're going to like the Puerto Rican bows better. They're like a coastal carpet. I'm I'm telling you. So... (laughs) Yeah, we'll I'm, I'm we'll convinced see. that he's 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 a, a being from another dimension or something because he just like I don't I don't like to sort of put him on a pedestal necessarily, but like the guy is just I, I've never never met anybody like him. No, no, like it's just he's so intuitive with so many different things. Yes, and it's just like it blows your mind sometimes because you just, the way he looks at things is just so vastly different from, from 99% of, of the rest of us. that It's just like, yes. Where did you come from? Like, what the hell are you? Like that thing he was talking about with the size of the mouse and the, you know, you, you know what he was talking yeah. about? It's just like, what? <laughs> Cause that got me thinking, like yeah. thinking about some of the, like the rhinos and stuff. Like I've in talking to him, like I've switched them over to smaller, more frequent meals rather than like hoppers and stuff that we would feed an appropriately sized corn snake typically. Right. Instead of giving them like fully furred mice, like I'll give them four or five fuzzies or like eight pinkies. Like, and they seem to do legitimately better on that than they do a bigger single meal. Yeah. Like they're more designed, I think for that nest rating aspect and then talking to him, you know, and him sort of telling me that as well. And it like trying it, like I did notice a difference. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get that from from just reading stuff, you know. That's why, like guys like him, are so damn important to everything. I mean, he's a huge importance of, to MBI. Like, you know, he, it's funny. He call me like once a week, and he's like, "Okay, let's go over some notes." <laughs> you know, just about various things, whether it's our podcast, uh, you know, one on the network or other ones that we listen to. And he's just like, did you listen to this? And what did you think of that? And then we'll just, we're talking for two hours. My, my wife made dinner. It's sitting on the table and I'm just like, ah, oh, I'll be up in a minute. I'll be up in a minute. <laughs> uh, but I've never met Rob, but he is only like six and a half hours away from me. He's been the big, well, he's, biggest city closest to me anyway oh really yeah denver is so (laughs) yeah he's a he's he's a good dude he's a very (laughs) unique individual 
Yeah, he seems like it. I know I know back in the early days of NPR, you'd have him on just to recite history of the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because well, yeah, I I'm, I think we've probably talked about this, but how I met him was he did a show on Reptile Radio and Rhino Rat Snakes and just the depth of his knowledge about that species just like blew me away. I didn't give two shits about rhino rat snakes. I didn't care. They weren't on my radar. I didn't, you know, but I heard him on there and I was just like, this guy, wow, holy shit. And, um, uh, he knew me from reptile radio because of like, I would always be asking the carpet Python questions. And when I started NPR, he, you know, at the, there was really no other reptile podcast at the time. I think there was, mm -hmm maybe one other one um, at the time. And, you know, he started listening to us, even though it wasn't in the carpets. And then he just called me up and then, you know, we became instant friends and we've been friends since. And, you know, he would just, I just, I want to, I want to know how, how does he retain the information a, and then be like the attention to detail. His brain just works different. <laughs> I just, I like, Figure out a way to bottle it up or something, because it's like I, I, I just what I would give for just like ten percent of that of what he, you know, what he's capable of and what he does is just yeah. I don't know. Like I said, I don't like to, I don't want to put him on on a pedestal or anything like that. But yeah, but, let's not give him an ego and all, you know. Damn it, man! <laughs> one of the one that like, if not the the person I look up to the most in in her pediculture bar none yeah probably same here yeah 100 he's the guy i talk to the most about everything if that makes sense mm -hmm. you know yeah well it's crazy the thing that also blows my mind is just the fact that he's like he's not old no he's not an old guy but it's like how do you like to be the age that he is because i mean he's like still he's not even 40 no right? i think he's 36 like, how have you yeah done the things you've done and learned the things you've learned because i mean i'm 32 i'm not that far behind him but it's just yeah. it's just wild like i like there's no explanation for it you know i just i, I don't know i think it's just his is just his, his experience you know and the people that he he was you know doing daytona in those are early days and he he was there for all that stuff and Cam being in his backyard, I'm sure, you know, he working at Pro yeah. Exotics, um, you know. Yeah. It's a similar story with Phil, too. Like, I wonder how Phil's you get him. I, I wonder how you get learn how to do venomous sometimes, you know, like, where do I go and find someone that's here? A, that's a Florida thing. Yeah. Um, he's got, he's got all of that. Florida stuff. man. Phil's a lot like Rob and like, I get the vibe from him where he knows a lot about a lot. Right. I know a lot about mm -hmm. a little, but they know a lot about a lot. Like you'll say X species and he's like, ah, oh, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, how the hell does he know that? <laughs> <laughs> Just studying flashcards in their spare time. But he had the same thing, right? Didn't he work a lot in the in the in the industry? Like worked at pet shops. And, yeah, he did. You know, he worked uh importers he and worked stuff like that. Strictly for a long time, yeah. which I always thought was kind of funny given the you know the sort of the controversy and, and stuff behind them. Um, you know, worked for underground for a long time, just 
he's done a lot, and I don't know if it was sort of like him just sort of jumping right in the trenches from the beginning and trial by fire kind of thing. But yeah, yeah, same thing. And the it's sort of how he came around too was sort of similar to to Rob uh, for you. You know, like he think started listening to the podcast and he messaged me or sent me a friend request one day and i'm like who's this guy and he's like yeah man i'm going to daytona you should meet up with me and i'm like okay yeah man and then met him and it was like first i remember the first time i met him at daytona and it was like we had known each other for a lifetime yeah it was just this weird like instantaneous sort of click and it's been it's been like that ever since you know like that's that's my guy man yeah yeah it's very, yeah, very similar to me and Rob. It was like, it's, you know, like the first time I talked to him, you know, how like when you first meet, I, shit, it took me longer to get to know Owen than it did Rob. It was like. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, well, oh, uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I had something, but it's. I'm sorry, man. I keep, uh, I keep screwing you up. <laughs> no, no, you're. You're fine, man. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, it's conversational anyway. So, um, I find I have a question for you guys, and so maybe you'll 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 relate to this. Schmitty, do you find when you go on other podcasts that like you don't want to over talk, but at the same time you feel like like your podcast, you know what I'm saying? Like you with THP, you're sort of, you're sort of the guy in control of it. Right. You know what I mean? You're, you're sort, sort of, of driving, the, driving the bus. Yeah. And it's like, I, 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 I try to thread that line so much. So I don't mean to like, <laughs> to, no. to like talk over you or whatever, but it just, it's like, I'm sitting in the chair, I'm in the seat and I'm just like, Oh, right. well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean a little bit. It's, I don't, I think it's, 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 nice being on the other side of things and not yes. having to worry about outlines and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we didn't worry about that it. anyway today. So. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly I'm not that prepared. <laughs> oh, if we had all six people here or eight, I don't know. This was going to be a huge show, dude. A mm. Huge. I had you two, uh, Peggy, and she was going to bring a turtle friend. I have two lizard people lined up. Like it was going to be a good show of some smack talking against reptiles <laughs> that you don't <laughs> like. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'd just be talking about rhino rats the entire time and why they beat everything. So. Well, you yeah. could do that too. We'll have to do that with Rob. <laughs> oh yeah, I you know I can't. And put me against Rob, man. Can obliterate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like just whipping a blind kid. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like when I have a good theory, I always run it through Rob, the Rob filter first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, huh, Rob? I got a. I was talking to so and so, and this popped into my head. What do you think? And he, you know, I'm like, oh well, I'm glad I didn't just blurt that out on NPR. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that's it's funny because I normally like most opinions about what we do and the things we do don't matter to me. But for some reason, it is always Rob that I'm like in the back of my head going, Rob's going to listen to this and just <laughs> tell me how disappointed he is. <laughs> and it's just going to ruin everything. <laughs> uh, that's so true. <laughs> like, my fear of letting Rob down to any degree is, is uh. <laughs> paralyzing. 
<laughs> oh man. Uh, now he's gonna listen to this and he's gonna have a big head. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, that's the funny part too, is he's gonna be like, you know, my Hey man. My opinion really <laughs> matters. Yeah. Hey man. Hey man. So, if there's anybody that I feel like I constantly have to like impress and reassure that I know what I'm doing and I'm not a complete moron, it's you. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. You'll 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 find your Rob too, Matt. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I listened to the Kalubert and Kalubroid radio episode today and uh they were talking about how they got a second person to fill in in case one of them's gone. I was mm-hmm. like, man, we really need that. Like, mm-hmm. Peggy's gone this week, but it 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 would be really hard it because it would be really hard though because like if I'm gone, we need like that snake guy who just has bred up in his house and doesn't know too much. And if Peggy's gone, I need like. Uh, a, a biologist <laughs> <laughs> which that's, is a totally different that's a little tough <laughs> <laughs> yeah but we fill two totally different roles quite the position to be i actually yeah. i actually took the idea like i like a colubrid and colubroid radio for that like doctor not doctor and that's yeah. that's uh, that's what i was really hoping for when i put the ad out for a co-host and i got right. really lucky Really yeah. lucky, I think. Yeah, and that I mean, like I told you the other day, I listened to the you know the first couple episodes, and like that was the instantly sort of the the really interesting thing that stood out was like the dynamic of of you two and having the two totally different backgrounds, and um, I don't know, I find that really interesting because you got two very different sort of perspectives and and ways of coming at things, and completely separate ways of thinking too. I mean. Mm-hmm. She she comes up with things that I I have no I wouldn't have ever came up with, and I'm sure I do the same. So, but even like hearing her involvement, you know, in that first episode with the painted turtles and stuff like that, like that was really cool. Like the fact that she sort of teamed up with the I guess what's your equivalent to Department of Natural Resources and being like, hey, this is kind of what I want to do, and them just sort of giving her that ball and letting her run with it. Yeah, no, they've totally you know, awesome. They've totally given her that ball to run with. Um it sounded according to the last episode it sounds like she's a little iffy on doing a whole <clears throat> breeding colony of uh fox turtles like the state wants her to do but hmm. she uh she is working cool on projects regardless. she is working on getting traps for like the red ear sliders that have been released mm-hmm. yeah that that conservation side i, I was really happy that I got because oh, that's yeah. a real conservation well, yeah, actually, biologist just, exactly to have someone who's like legitimately doing it because conservation is a, a word that I feel like gets thrown around very loosely uh, and it's very sort of vague at this point too because you see it on Instagram and stuff all the time people saying education conservation and it's like what does that mean you know like what do you what do you, what do you just like in the Colubert and Colubroid episode that that just dropped you know talking about like People say they're conserving things, but if we're just breeding stuff to keep in captivity, we're not really conserving anything except that species position in the hobby. Right. Um, so to have someone who's legitimately and loafman too, in, the, in that same sense, like people that are actually going through the necessary steps and the things that they have to do, which is a lot of hoops to jump through from the sounds of it to like actually be doing conservation work. Um, 
it's like i just see it on instagram now and i'm like what is what do you what you're like i feel i feel like that kind of comes from like the maybe the zoo world a little bit where they're pushing the conservation by showing a species so we're conserving the species by breeding it and showing it maybe yeah and i guess maybe there's a, sort of a second definition to it in, in terms of herpeticulture where it's like you have species that not many people are doing anything with and like if it wasn't for those people we probably wouldn't have them around like they, they would be rarely available or not available at all mm-hmm. um but i you know in the sense of like conservation of you know like legitimate conservation it's like we're not we're not doing any of that we're not releasing any of these things it's not it's not as simple as just breeding and then letting it go you know it's it's a yeah i don't know it's just it's it's weird how how much that term gets thrown around now and it's like does what does it actually even mean like what do you yeah you're not gonna go and release a whole bunch more ball pythons back back into the wild that's for sure like I'm breeding those local corns. I'm not going to go and just start releasing corn snakes. I mean, I could if I wanted to because they're, you know, they're natural, like they're F1s and stuff like that. But it's like that corn snakes aren't hurting where I'm at. <laughs> I'm not doing anything really except probably feeding the the local raccoons and stuff, baby corn snakes. I don't know. I just. Yeah, sometimes I feel like we use that as, you know, something to make us feel better about keeping snakes in boxes but at the same time <clears throat> it's it you know to me it was always the fact that if you kept a snake then you would kind of be aware of you know taking care of the environment or you know what i mean like you you're yeah. you're more aware of it type of deal than if you did well, i mean J- jamaican boas that's a prime example like no yeah. one's taking jamaican boas from jamaica there's a reason they're they're like endangered right. You right. Know? and it's like by us breeding them in the u.s none of them are going back to jamaica no and like we're pretty much conserving them just for the sake that people can even have them is kind of like what yeah at. but at the same time they're getting so obliterated in their natural habitat and stuff it's like what we do over here has zero bearing on what's going on down south you know right no it's odd mm-hmm I do find it uh, quite impressive that um, they've bred that. Uh, what do you call it? They bred those for how many years that they have, and they're like very. There's a very good gene pool of both Puerto Ricans yeah, and Jamaicans. Yeah. I mean, I remember when Rob told me that I was really surprised because that was one of the things I would asked him about when we were talking about Jamaicans, you know, back and forth a little bit, and I was like have they not had any issues with that? Because surely like the founding animals that for what we have, like there had to be a bottleneck even for being, I guess what you would consider, I guess an insular species. Uh, and he's like, no, actually it's the opposite. Like you would think that that would be the case, but they're, they're freakishly diverse. Well, what I take from that group of guys that work with those species, like, um, I think is, uh, what's his name? Jeff Murray. He's one that comes yeah, Rob yeah. Keith, uh, you know, Warren, all, all those guys, uh, Tom Crutchfield, he works with, uh, West Indian boas and stuff. But, um, what I take from them is that it's interesting when you take the money part out of the herpticulture, yeah. how different it's approached, you yeah. know, 
And um, when that financial incentive is non-existent. Yeah, and it is. Like it's that's what people that are all. genuinely interested in. Hundred percent. There's something in it for them. You know? And I didn't even know. Shame on me. Uh, I didn't even know about that website, WestIndianBoas.org. Holy shit! Have you seen that website? No. Oh man, you got to check that out. I mean, just the amount of work that went into putting that site together about yeah. the West Indian bows is just super impressive, like unbelievably impressive. So I think these guys that are doing these, you know, they just have a love for these animals and they're not mm-hmm. in the hobby and they don't really care. And they're sort of in their own. I'm very jealous of this situation, you know? Um, but, but that's a part of her culture that I like that I love. And that's what I yeah. get the most excited about is when you have guys that are so dedicated into a group like that, that they go all out and get as much information as they can and put it together in a website and everything. Cause um, Daniel Schwint is doing the same thing. He has ganyasoma.org, mm-hmm. which is all of freight Fritas, his information. I don't think freight's around anymore. I don't know for sure, but um, all his writings and stuff on Ganyasoma, like, Jansen and I and Oxycephalum are on that website. And like Daniel Schwint is now, he runs that website and he's the one who got permission to put that information out there. And like, I just started a, a Ghani Soma group for us people mm-hmm. on Facebook because there's like, there is a group, but it's almost entirely people across the pond. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, you know, there's not a ton of people in the States really focused on Ghani Soma as a whole, whether it's rhinos or any of the other sister taxes. So I was like, let me get a group together and, you know, it's already like there's only like 36 people in it so far, but like there's already talks with Daniel about like adding more information to that website that extends to other species in that group and, and the sister tax and stuff like that. It's like it's so cool to have such a small but hyper focused group mm-hmm. on such a cool group of snakes that, you know, they're available all the time and they're imported all the time. But few people are actually successful with them just in keeping them alive for the most part. Right. Um, like, it's awesome. I think it's going to be a really good resource for a lot of people. Um and, you know, it's, I, I feel kind of bad because we've had a handful of people from like France and stuff try to join. And it's like, it's, it's US, the US Ganyasoma Alliance. Like it's, it's us. Yeah. US. Yes. <laughs> try to unite build a front. wall around your group. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, I did the same thing with like a local herb group here where there's like Savannah, Georgia, which has a big reptile community and stuff. But I was like, let's have something for people on this side of the border because yeah. they have their own thing. Like most of the people that are in our local group are in those groups too. So they see what's going on. But it's like for people that are just in our like county. Right. Let's do something. I mean, no one uses that group. No one ever posts in it and whatever. I don't care. But right. It's the US Ganyasoma stuff. It's like there's not a ton of people really, really focusing and working with Ganyasoma specifically. So I was like, let's get that handful of people together and and have something where we're all talking to each other and we're all sort of clued in and hopefully we can help people that are coming into those be more successful and we can all sort of learn from each other and be more successful ourselves. And, you know, it's we're already getting shirts made and everything. Nice. Dare I say that's your favorite group of snakes? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I don't, I don't know. It seems like over the years, it's kind of fluctuated a little bit, you know, I love corn snakes. That's a mostly a nostalgia thing. I love my chondros. Um, I, you know, I, I took a pretty big step back in terms of like 
being in the chondro groups and stuff on Facebook because it was just it was really sucking the fun out of it. Like it was just really exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the amount of money that's involved with those, you know, a lot of people, it's more of a lot of people sort of flashing their wallets and look at how much money I can drop on a single animal kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and like with the Ganyasoma, it's just, they're such cool and interesting snakes. You know, the rhinos, whether you think they should be in Ganyasoma or they don't, um, they're just, it's such a cool group of snakes. And I, I really want to get the sort of the Jansen I nailed down and figured out and try and be more successful with those. And I kind of decided that this was the year that I was going to put more focus on that group just because, you know, I got a small, like three egg clutch early last year for my, my pair of Jance and I, and those eggs did not make it. I don't know if they were really any good to begin with, not a hundred percent sure. Um, and so it's like, I'm on the right track. I just got to start putting in the time and effort into, into making them work. So we'll see that. And then Matt just sent me that pair of persinum, which there's not a lot of people in the States really doing much with. And so when he sent me those, you know, it was like, okay, like this is this sort of seals the deal. Like this, this is a group I want to, I want to focus on. So. Do you just like, like the activity of, of the rhinos and. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're always out, man. They're super curious. You know, I have um, three adults and I've got two youngsters and the adults, like they're almost always out and about perching. My, uh, wife and daughter you know, they love them there's one in particular his name is dutch and he just hangs out all day and like ellie will go in and just open the doors and he'll just come out and it's like really one of besides brettles like the only species that i can trust her to be able to just go in and get it and it not just lose its shit um and they're just they're super curious like when you handle them they're not like i don't get the vibe that they're you know they're freaking out or they're stressed or anything like that the younger ones it's a little different but like the older animals like it's 100 percent. they're just curious what's going on you know they just want to check things out you know they're looking for food and just a ton of personality and and very curious and interested in what's going on you know if you're in the room they're watching you and checking you out and seeing if you're bringing them any food and super easy to keep like crazy easy they're they're cooler species right yeah okay yeah yeah mine stay at whatever the room is and so i mean they've gotten into the you know the upper 60s on like our really cold nights and um even after eating you know they seem like those cooler temps doesn't seem to affect them at all they they do great so I think the only thing that's sort of the the one detractor is just babies and getting those established. You know, that seems to be sort of the one main and biggest hurdle for for that. Um, but as far as like a pet snake, like if you get one that's established, I, like a, I, like I said earlier, I don't. I think you're gonna be hard pressed to find a, a more enjoyable species to have just for plain enjoyment. Fair. Good display animals, like like Eric was saying. You know, you set them up a nice display, like they're gonna be out and about all the time. Like yeah. <clears throat> unless they're in a shed cycle or something you're gonna see them daily do you do you find your like uh eric carpets uh do you find carpets are are, are really active and good display animals as well yeah to the point where i don't think that the people that breed carpets and try to sell carpets promote that enough i think uh yeah when you're talking about that. the, you know when you're talking about a snake that you know, you want to see it. Um, yeah. Carpets, you know, 
maybe maybe we had an influence on that for a while. I think when I got into the breeding side of things, um, you know, I kept in a lot of racks and stuff, and um, I still do have stuff in racks because I'm slowly like moving it over to cages and stuff. But the difference in in just watching them is just just I have a diamond python that's upstairs in my living room, and just I could watch that thing for hours. And uh, I think to the average pet keeper. That's kind of what they're looking for, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have a sand bow and it's underneath the sand all the time, what's the point? If you have a ball python, and that could be part of like the setup, right? I mean, if you give it a hide, it's probably going to hide a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're wanting a python, to me, they kind of fit the best of both worlds where they got a little size on them to the where, where they're somewhat impressive, but they're not, you know, like I think short tails – are like they they seem bigger than they are, even though they're like four foot. <laughs> they they seem like they're like these humongous snakes just because of their girth. Um, big old land slugs. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And uh, they're just they're you know a python like that is just different. You know, some people I think if they're getting a python, they kind of want a python that they. Uh, it's got some size to it. You know, they don't want like a small snake type of deal. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think they make great display. They're always out perching. They'll get under UV, under heat, under, you know, just hang out. You know, so. How well do your, your enjoy. carpets handle? How do they handle? Yeah. Um, I don't, I think like this whole, I, I guess the whole idea of like, carpets being aggressive comes from when they're babies and i just don't see that difference between i I, i've been bit by more ball pythons than i have carpet pythons so no um i mean i've been bit usually it's just my my fault my mistake type of deal i do use a hook um i don't know i don't know if that's needed or not needed but it's just kind of how i've always done it so they use a hook to get them out, but once they're in your hands, I, 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 I think I have one carpet that's like just straight up, you know, wants to kill you. And I think there is a little bit of uh, something to, um, like the whole idea of, you know, each snake is going to be different, and in in, in, uh, in how and in that type of thing, like some snakes are going to be super aggressive or nervous. I don't even say aggressive, maybe nervous all the time, you know? Um, but I guess like when I work with scrub pythons and then taking a back step back to carpet pythons, they're kind of a walk in the park, but yeah, (laughs) I don't know. I handle, you know, once they're out, once you have them, I, I have no issues with them. All right. Um, do you notice any, any handleability differences between subspecies at all? Um, like, like Justin said, said earlier that like brettles are the number one pick. Is it just, are they more handleable? Is that why? Or, or I know you're an IJ guy or a pop one guy. So, yeah, I think it's probably comes down. So if I were to say which ones are the, uh, if if that label comes from them being, let's say, s- snippy, but nippy, bitey, you know, um, jungles and Darwins. Um, Darwins, I think, are that way just simply because the stock that we have in the U.S. is just so closely, it's so close to wild-caught stock. Um, 
Jungles, on the other hand, I don't know. I just think it's just in their nature. They're they're they come from that rainforest habitat. Anything that's going to be getting them is going to be coming from above, and you're coming over top of them. And I think once they learn that you're not going to hurt them, eat them, <laughs> they kind of like uh, they kind of let go. Oh, there you go. And um, they kind of chill out. But I think I think getting over that initial couple times of getting bit is kind of like, uh, uh, so as far as the nicest ones that I've dealt with, I would say probably inlands. And as far as the most nippy ones, I would say Darwin's. So I hate getting bit still doesn't happen often, but I don't enjoy it. Yeah. I don't, I go for not getting bit most of the time. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not like sticking my hand right on its face. Try and, I think the worst bite I ever took was from um, a bar neck. Yeah. Oh man! Ooh. Yeah, oh, I was almost uh, almost stitches type of bite. They're so pretty, though. Oh, yeah, man. gorgeous. My man, my my time with scrubs came and went. <laughs> was more than enough, <laughs> as they do with most people. <laughs> <laughs> Wyman's daughter has your scrub, right? Yeah, yeah, and he sent me a picture like right after they got it of her just holding it like it was nothing. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, that <laughs> thing was freaking horrible. I think it's changed since then. Like it is now gotten to the point to where he's like, yeah, this okay, this thing's a bit of a handful, but they're just so turned on, you know. They're always turned Very. on. Um, yeah. They're they're just ready to go. <laughs> it must be a tough life in Papua New Guinea. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, yeah, they're just they're so damn accurate is the problem. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> these things are the most accurate strikers I think I've ever dealt with. I've I've thought about getting scrubs before, but again, then it, it, it's the retweet tick thing all over again for me because it's not even a, it's a huge snake, but it's uh it's definitely yeah, a snake they, <laughs> yeah they, made of velcro they're they're very deceptive though right because like um you know i've dealt with 12 foot plus scrubs and they don't look that way when they're in a the cage if that makes sense right you yeah know, like when you're looking yeah. at a retic or a berm or, or a rock python or something like that you can see that that snake is big but like I don't know. Same thing with Owen Pelly pythons. It's the same way, right? Because they're long and thin, right? They're, they're so for, like when we were holding those babies that were that Gavin had, I couldn't understand how a baby snake is like four foot long. Like, what what is going on here? Or <laughs> you know, it was just so long, but just keeps going. Yeah, that's kind of like a like the shape of a, a Amazon tree boa. Yes. Very super long, skinny, arboreal. And then the thing with scrubs is like they, they're always like perching. So they, they, they sort of have like multiple anchor points. So like when you're trying to get them out and you're dealing with, there's just a lot, that's a lot. People get these high visions of grandeur, which I did too, where it's just like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to breed these things. Watch. (laughs) It's just, 
Yeah. Seems like there was a point with Scrubs where a lot of people got into them, and then it seems like after about a year or two, a lot of people started getting out of them. Yep. That was the cycle. That was the cycle that, like, from the beginning of NPR, right, you would have, there was, like, a group, like, Blake Bauer was one, uh, David Means was another, and there was a couple other people. Yasser, at the time, he he was doing Scrubs, too. But, like, there was this, like, Nick Mutton did them for a while, but you would have this group where they would come in and they would get some and then they would realize about, and then, uh, yeah, it would, uh, <laughs> you would soon just as, sell them on to the next guy. You know, Not as sexy as you thought they'd be. No. Amazing snakes, but. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. It's a lot to work with, especially when you, you're talking like, Wyman was telling me like they 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 know what's going on exactly and they sense yeah. every little thing. Yep. So yes, like, every move. He, he he said his daughter has shown just just that much fear one time, and and now the snake knows it can make her jump, so it'll make mm-hmm. her jump whenever it wants. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's. Yeah, they're a heat-seeking missile that seems to go right for monkeys' heads. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, rhinos are still cooler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll let you know on that one. They'll change your life. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I'm my this year. I'm planning. I'm planning to breed them for the first time. So yeah. That's cool. After talking to Rob and Terry Burwell and Matt, you know, it was like, I think she can, I think the female can pull it off. This is the male. So he's definitely old enough and big enough. Females a little bit bigger than that one around the no, same a size. Smaller. Rhinos oh, are, smaller? Yeah. Yeah, male rhinos are, are bigger than females. Which I thought was kind of interesting. So they hmm. combat. You definitely don't keep males together. Yeah. From what I've what I've been told, I'm not going to try it. But if you're going to keep them together, keep you know males and females or two females and a male. Do they you, can be surprisingly vicious to one another. Do you cohab them? Um, I don't yet. So when I put this the female in with this male, I just moved him into a two foot cube. Um, the female's going to go in and they'll be cohabbed. Okay. And then the persinum will go in the, the bio-G cages that they're in now. Oh, well. Do you guys have any questions? I feel weird because I don't have my co-host and usually, <laughs> usually <laughs> it's like, hey, you got any extra questions here? Because I think I'm going to wrap it up. You guys got any questions for each other? Me? Anything? Podfather? I don't think so. Where do babies, where do babies come from? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's see. (laughs) That's a tough question. (laughs) Yeah. Who knows anymore? (laughs) (laughs) That depends on who you ask. (laughs) It is now a subjective question. Yes. Oh, well, where can people find you at, Eric? 
Uh, <clears throat> okay. Um, uh, let's see. I guess if you want to follow me, I, I'm on Facebook. Um, I don't really do the EB Moralia page all that much anymore. Um, I probably will get that going again at some point. But if you want to find me, NPR Network is uh, is pretty much where you can find me. YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Right on. Justin? <clears throat> You can find what we're doing at the Herpeticulture Network on all major podcast platforms, uh, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, um, Audible. I think we're on there. Amazon Podcast now is a thing. Um, and then Palmetto Coast Exotics is my sort of my personal page as far as like breeding and what I'm keeping and stuff like that. Um, and then we also have a YouTube channel for the network, which is, um, like episodes. And then I periodically do videos related to stuff I'm keeping and whatnot. And, um, a lot of chondro videos and stuff on there for anybody that has, you know, is wanting to get into chondros and sort of, there's a lot of them. I got a lot of the same questions a lot of the time. So I finally just started making videos, sort of addressing those. And then if people ask, you know, I just send the link and be like, check this out. If you have any questions afterward, hit me up, uh, so check that out. That's the Herpeticulture Network as well. And that's it, I think. <laughs> right on. For us, you can follow us at Herp Talk Radio on Instagram. Um, at Herp Talk Radio at, G- or Herp Talk Radio at gmail.com is our email address. And that's really what we got right now. YouTube should be up by the time this is up, but that'll be next week. Cool. Awesome.